Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen. He is good tonight. Thank the Lord. Amen. As I stated this morning, uh, we may look at here, perhaps in the near future, of uh, having service here again on Sunday mornings. Uh, I have heard from one, at least in the cleaning crew, that said that they would take care of that in between time, between Sunday morning and Sunday night, if we chose to do that. I also, and I haven't, uh, I talked to my wife about this, but I haven't talked to others, but um, also Wednesday night made me realize that uh, there's an aspect, of course, of the teenage years and stuff that are, of course, missing things as a result of COVID right now. And our kids, of course, are missing things as a result of this. And uh, we may uh, start doing something maybe on Wednesdays where I'm not teaching every Wednesday, but we might have times that there's a focus for the teenagers and a focus uh, for the kids on Wednesdays. With that being said, that doesn't mean all the rest of us miss. And let me make an announcement to everybody that's still at home. Because I knew this would come along the way somewhere along the journey. Of it being difficult to get you back to church. Again, I understand we must be sensible. And we must use wisdom. We can't be chaotic. But at the same time, we can't neglect. Whenever there's nothing else in place to prohibit it. It is improper to holler about they didn't let us go to church. And then when you now have the opportunity not to come. I... Just a little pastoral right now. It's not keeping anybody from going to Walmart. It didn't keep me from going on vacation. It hasn't kept you from camping. So there's no reason it should keep you from church. So... This has been not sponsored by anybody. I just said it myself. Amen. All right. And so you need the church. You need, you cannot, iron cannot sharpen iron unless it makes contact. And although we were uh, positioned virtually for a time out of necessity, since that's no longer there, then we need to come back together. Amen. And again, I understand there might be, and I'm just talking right now, I understand there might not be all the amenities of a nursery right now for your kids or other things for your kids on other services. But let me tell you something. I did not just, you know, was born last night in the church. I grew up and there wasn't anything for you. And we sat in church and we praised and worshiped and we 
took notes when the preacher preached. And I'm standing here today, 42 years old, this much time later, and here I am still. This is not my sermon, but we cannot grow into this consumer mode. Because if you do, you're following the flow of the rest of society. If they don't have a program for my kids and they don't have this or that, bless God, I'll find something that does. You've missed the mark. We need to fall in love with Jesus. <laughs> Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus is the best thing I've ever Oh, I want to fall in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus. It's the best thing I've ever done. Yes, it is. It still is, and it will be. Luke chapter number one. Thank you for indulging me. I hope you know that was totally impromptu. I didn't write anything down. I didn't stew over anything this afternoon and pin some words and put paragraphs. No. Uh, Luke chapter number one and verse number five. I say that because I love you. I say that because I love you and I understand the premise of Scripture. Amen. The premise of Scripture and the blessing, amen, of, of congregating. Luke chapter number 1 and verse number 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah. And his wife was of the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren. And they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot, was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son. Thou shalt call his name John. Amen. A little while tonight, with the help of the Holy Ghost, I want to minister simply this. As the priest serves and the people pray. As the priest serves and the people pray. Amen. Can we go to the Lord right now? Hallelujah. We need to pray. Amen, that the Lord would help us. Jesus, we need you tonight. 
God, I place, Lord, my dependency, Father, upon you. I pray, oh, Lord Jesus, it's in you, God, that we put our trust. And it's in you, God, that we put our confidence. I pray, oh, God, this evening that you're able to speak, Lord, through your word. God, in these words, Lord, are, Lord, eternal life. I pray, oh God, and each and every one of us, Lord, need to be partakers, God, of eternal life. I pray, Master, today, God, open our understanding. Help us, oh Lord Jesus, this evening, God, to pull ourselves close to the table of your word, God, and feed upon it, Lord Jesus, because it is, Lord, more necessary, God, Lord, than even our literal bread that we would eat. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. God bless you this evening. You may be seated. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. As the priest serves and, and the people pray. If there was ever a time when a people could have settled on their laurels and thought to themselves that they could live life without God, it was during Zacharias's day. He and others lived during a time when it seemed like Nothing was taking place. There was no voice or utterance happening. It was similar to the days of Eli and similar to the days of Samuel when the Bible says the word of the Lord was precious or that it was valuable in that day. Valuable based upon its rarity. And there was no open vision, the scripture records. In the day of Zacharias and Elizabeth, for years there had been no angel, no heavenly visitation. Heaven had at all seemed to become quiet and silent. Amen to God's people. And apparently it was unmoved by the events and the courses of people's lives upon the earth. As a matter of fact, as the Old Testament draws to a close and the final words of the final prophet in Scripture were spoken, there was what began in that intertestamental time, a long period of silence. 400 years had passed from the last words of the Old Testament prophet to the first words of the New Testament. It would seem as though there was a period of time there was no word from God for 400 years silence pervaded as it would seem upon the land. That's how long it had been since God had spoke through a person or spoke through a prophet with some type of word of warning or word of guidance and direction. The last one that the people had heard from was Malachi. Amen. Preaching his message. Speaking about those things he spoke of in his book. It seems like that would be a very, very long, long time ago and perhaps the people could hardly even remember Remember, if it were not for reading or recounting the words of that long ago prophet, they were living in a day quite different than that day, a day of no prophet, no tablets of stone are being given on the mount of God, no cloud of fire, no pillar of cloud by day or fire by night, no manna, no flesh is fall into the ground no sign from heaven seemingly and yet the Bible says it's in the midst of all of this type of environment circumstance that Zacharias and Elizabeth the Bible says were righteous people and that they were a people that attempted to walk according to the commandments 
and the ordinances of the Lord. Now you got to just wrap your mind around this for a moment. They are having no sign from heaven. They are having no word spoken from a prophet. All of that is seemingly seized. And yet the Bible speaks of these two individuals that remained and was a righteous people that still yet attempted in spite of what, what, what was not still walked according to the commandments of the Lord and the ordinances of God. They were, in many regards, they were the Enoch's of the New Testament Scripture. They walked with God as Enoch of old walked with God. Imagine, if you will, tonight back in the Old Testament how difficult it must have been for Enoch to walk with God during those years right before the flood, right before the demise of the world by waters, when at that moment in time it was just vice and violence that was prevalent all throughout the land. Amen. And yet the Bible even speaks of that hour that there was the wickedness of man that God was contending with. It was very great in the earth. Imagination and thoughts of man was only evil continually all the way from Adam until the time of Noah. Amen. Here was mankind just trying to find their place in society. Sin, the seed of sin had been passed from Adam and Eve to their children from generation to generation and the whole world as it would seem was on a downward spiral amen because of the condition even stated in Noah's day that they just were kind of merry and giving in marriage and eating and drinking and that was the backdrop for Enoch whenever he decided in that day he was going to walk with God nonetheless and here is an Elizabeth and Zacharias in their day that have a time of not hearing from God, not seeing any of the handiwork of God as it were, but they decided they were going to walk still yet according to the ordinances, amen, and the statutes and commandments of God, amen, because in reality walking is just a habitual practice and exercise of a man's life. It's just a regular, unbroken, well-sustained pace. It's not a run. It's not a frolic. It's not a skip, but it's just a walk. A walk is faithful. A walk is committed. A walk is just what Enoch did with his life. He walked with God, and now we see Elizabeth and Zacharias walking with God. And so we know in Scripture, because the Bible portrays them as blameless, it portrays them, amen, as a man and a woman that was righteous, walking in obedience to the Lord, blameless. But the Bible says, but they had no child. They're righteous people. They're blameless people. They're people that's keeping, if you will, the laws and the ordinances of God. But one of the things that they had hoped for and desired in their life, a child, they were without. So therefore, I understand this evening that then the announcement of the miraculous birth that came to Zacharias and Elizabeth, that barren woman, that what the scripture portrays as an elderly couple wasn't due to their righteousness because they were righteous before they were ever told that they were going to have a child. They were righteous after they had a child. They were righteous when they had no child. And so I understand tonight that this announcement does not come necessarily because of their righteousness 
It wasn't coming to them necessarily because of their obedience per se. But I believe that it came because it was simply just a faithful God in response to a faithful people. If you will tonight, please note the wording of verse number 8 in Luke chapter number 1. The Bible says, and it came to pass that while he, speaking of Zacharias, while he executed the priest's office before the Lord. When I first read this this week, it was in the New King James Version, and it says it like this. It said, while he was serving. And then we notice the actions of verse number 10 that happened simultaneously. In other words, as he executed his office, as he was serving, this also took place in the word of God. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. Again, I read this in the New King James Version when I first read it, and it said the people was praying. In other words, the situation, the environment, the atmosphere, when all of this took place and arrived concerning a response from God. It was while the priests served and the people prayed that God responded. Hallelujah. While he served and the people prayed, God responded. That response that God gave declared that there would be a miraculous birth within the family of, of Elizabeth and Zacharias. But at the same time, when the angel of the Lord spoke those words, there was a breaking of a prolonged silence that had taken place for almost 400 years. The Bible is so interesting to me. You can read the accounts of the Gospels and the accounts of the Gospels as we've even been studying the Gospel of John the accounts of the Gospels in essence are the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ that's what they record that, that is their purpose and their underscoring the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ each of the Gospels has a different place of origin a different starting point in order to tell the story of the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ Gospel of Matthew, he begins his story with Abraham, the father of the Jews. As Mark begins to pen the story, he begins with the prophet of the highest, a man that we know by the name of John the Baptist. He begins with him. John, we have learned in our study in, on Wednesdays that John began his story with the word of God. But Luke, the Bible, even Luke comes in his book, the Gospel of Luke, and he tells us that he's considered all of the eyewitness accounts of his day. He, he has heard, amen, the witnesses that were there even among, amen, the people when all these things came about. And he said, having considered all of the present day accounts and the reports that were circulating, he says that tell the story of the birth of Christ and the experience of, of Christ. He says, I must begin my story, first of all, about telling, Telling you about a priest and a people that served and prayed when nothing was noticeably happening. In other words, Luke was speaking to Theopolis and he said, Sir, he said, I want you to know that what I'm writing and compiling right now, I do so with 
perfect understanding. And I want to write an account unto you in order, in succession, so that you might know the certainty of the things that I have laid before you. If I can state it like this tonight, what Luke was conveying was this, that the experience of the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ, according to Luke, he said, it is best told from an origin of a serving priest and a praying people. It's as though Luke is saying service and prayer were the impetus. They were the force. They were the thrust. They were the drive for experiencing Christ. He said, if I'm going to tell you about the miracles of the Lord and I'm going to tell you about the birth of the miracle of Jesus in Bethlehem, if I'm going to tell you about the power of Christ, I'm going to first tell you about the power of a serving priest and a praying people. Oh, yes. Because his origin starts all the way back there. Can I tell you here tonight that there's something in my heart, my spirit that's telling me in this hour that if we are still to produce a Bethlehem, if we're still to produce a manifestation of God among us, it's going to still have the same place of origin that Luke said. It's going to take a priest that serves and a people that pray. Amen. Mark believes the Christ experience must be preceded by the forerunner, John the Baptist. That's according to the Old Testament, even prophecies of Scripture. John the Baptist, a forerunner, would come, preparing the way of the Lord, making his path straight. And so Mark starts there. But Luke underscores that there can be no guidance from John the Baptist. There can be no prophetic utterance from the ministry of John without the service and the prayer from a priest and a people. I suppose this evening, Sister Malin, that we could look at this story and we could consider the actions of Zacharias and the people in a couple different ways. I suppose we could consider tonight that perhaps Zacharias and the people were just married to the ritual of just serving, married to the ritual of just praying rather than actually involved in any type of spiritual, amen, type of conduct. Or I believe we may understand them through the lens that these were some people and this was a priest that understood the practice of maintaining when nothing is visibly happening. Hallelujah. Not that they were married to a ritual, but they were overwhelmed with, amen, absolutely just overtaken by their experience and the relationship with God that if they could see it happening or not happening, they were going to serve. Whether they could feel it or not feel it, they were going to pray. Not because it was just ritualistic, but because they were in love, as I said, with the Lord. Folks, I by no means am going to draw a hard fast line in the sand this evening and tell you that miracles only happen to serving and praying people but I will tell you tonight simply by observation of the scripture that the miraculous here and the breaking of the silence here took place because a priest served and a people prayed hallelujah some would say amen Zacharias was of the course of Abiah. 
He's one, he's in a course of one of 24 courses that was in his day. That, 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 that age all the way back to David. And there was a breaking loose of that. Amen. Some didn't always all return from captivity. But nonetheless, they would make sure they would still have these 24 courses. Amen. And so Zacharias was of a course of 24 of the priesthood. Each course was called upon. Amen. In a calendar year to serve at the temple in Jerusalem. Twice a year, they would be called upon a course to serve the temple in Jerusalem and they would serve it each time from Sabbath to Sabbath for a week. They would serve twice a year for a week. Amen. There were so many priests in this day because if you were the sons and daughters of Aaron, you were a priest. It's the way it kind of conveyed. And so at this time, their estimates would be on some 20,000 priests. So we're talking about a lot of people in so much that People that deal with statistics and, and historians and such say that the privilege of burning incense in the holy place because of all these people and these courses serving only two weeks out of the year and the service that they did when they were there were decided by lot that it's probable that the privilege that Zacharias had in this moment of burning incense in the holy place came only once in a lifetime, if at all. With that in mind, then, you must pardon me if I'm not inclined to subscribe to the idea that Zacharias was married to a ritual here. Because only twice a year would his course even serve at the temple for seven days apiece. And statistically, only he would ever one time serve as burning incense at the altar of incense. So I don't believe that Zacharias in this moment, we're seeing the conduct, we're seeing, if you will, the work, we're seeing, if you will, uh, the, 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 the being dedicated to an office. I don't believe we have a man here that was married to a ritual. The Bible says he's a righteous man. He's an obedient man. He's a blameless man. Ah, consequently, he was a man that was faithful to God in his service. In other words, he knew two weeks out of the year he was going to be at the temple. And in those 14 days that he would serve throughout the year, amen, he's going to serve with everything he had. He was going to serve as though it would be his last time at the temple to serve. And so as he's entering into the altar, amen, of burnt incense and he goes there to sprinkle the incense upon the hot toes and this is highly probable the only time in his life that he's ever going to have this particular opportunity and it would never pass him by again I do not believe he was taking this lightly I do not believe amen he was casual he was casual about what he was engaged in in that moment. <laughs> I believe he was focused on the task and the office that needed to be executed at hand. <laughs> oh. And although he wasn't casual, the way that scripture even portrays what took place there at that altar is almost presented as casual. 
Because here's Zacharias carrying out his duties, his service, and the angel of the Lord appeared at the right side of the altar. I mean, whenever you're having an encounter like this after 400 years, you could really make that a little bit more flamboyant. Right? There was a grand light and there was thunderings and smoke. and I saw as it were. You understand? Because we have that type of terminology in Scripture. And we're like at the edge of a sea, smoke and thunderings and lightnings and as it were. But the Bible just says that there's Zacharias carrying out his duties, his service, and an angel of the Lord appeared on the right side of the altar. Nothing necessarily in the verbiage that is out of the ordinary. There's no bright light. There's no talking censor. I mean, we've had talking donkeys for crying out loud. At least the censor could have probably talked and done something, but we have no talking censor. All we have is a man being faithful to a task. I would declare to you tonight that we have failed to the appetite of sensationalism. We have failed to the appetite that if it doesn't scream loud enough, sweat profusely enough, or something dynamic according to my standards happen, then nothing can happen. But I'll tell you, there was no light, there was no thunder, there was no great audible voice, but there was a man being faithful to his task and an angel... An angel of the Lord appeared. He had an angelic visitation. And nobody's heard anything for years. He's had an angelic visitation. And he's just being faithful to executing his office. He's serving. It's been void of angels. Prophecy. And yet as a man is serving. People in the outer court have prayed. And an angelic visitation comes. Let me tell you all something here. I know the rest of them are not here yet. But those that are, you might feel a little indifferent and a little down and a little discouraged. Eh, Brother McGee, it's us. we got to sit a pew away from each other. My God, this ain't having church. You missed it. You missed it. We're not, uh, we're not waiting for the welling of the keyboard or this to happen or that to happen or every pew to be packed if somebody will just be faithful to a task. I've been attempting, and I'm not here aiming to underscore Paul McGee, but I've been attempting as a pastor and priest of this assembly to stay at my post serving the Lord. Serving him week in, serving him week out. Serving him when everybody's home and serving him when everybody's here. And I'm just asking, as I practice my serving, will you practice your praying? Because if we can get the priest to serve and the people to pray, we'll have a visitation. We'll have a visitation of God because I'm not too old to have forgotten a first building with a few people, most of them old, and we had to walk around the pulpit to have a march, and we had to run, if you will, up and down the aisle because it was hard to run around them. I've not forgotten that. How did that happen? It's because a man was faithful to his service, and the people knew how to pray.
was a common practice, a common occurrence, that when the priest burnt the incense during the morning sacrifice and the evening sacrifice daily, that the people outside would pray. That was a common occurrence. These things happened simultaneously. This is the way that it went. This, if we could even call it that without me putting too much strain on it, this was the ritual. This was the form. The priest did his thing there. We did our prayer here. Here's something just a little different for all the people out there. This is probably the only time that Zacharias is all going to serve in this capacity. He's never served in this capacity before. For that matter, let's get a little bit more plain. He's never served in this capacity before, and he's never served in this capacity during such a time as they were experiencing at the moment. May I present to this body that we likewise are living during some unprecedented times. And yet, also, I believe, Mike Penrod, that we have been afforded an opportunity that just may translate into a once-in-a-lifetime type ordeal. I've heard it said, uh, we had general ministry conference online. I heard Brother, Brother David Poole, he preached and ministered. He said, man, he said, he said we're in such times right now. He said, you, you, you used to be able to call up some good old elder pastor and say, Pastor, this is what's going on. How did I get through it? He said, but there's none that's went before us that's going through what we're going through right now. What's he saying? It's almost like a once-in-a-lifetime ordeal. It's almost like a once-in-a-lifetime stage. Amen. But I'm telling you again, as I attempt to serve the Lord constantly, amen, and hopefully consistently as your pastor, amen, as I come and go, each week comes and goes just like the next. And yet I feel that I may be serving in a place and during a time presently that is somewhat different than any other place in time before, amen, that I have preached or ministered. This just isn't a typical, amen, service during the week. It's not just a typical Sunday morning. It's not just a typical Sunday night. It's just not a typical Wednesday night Bible study. These are not simply ordinary times. This season right now is unique. This season right now is different in its own respect. And with that in mind, I ask us tonight, or I declare to us, I wonder what may happen today if the priest serves and the people pray. Amen. Huh. I'll try to be mindful of your time. This morning went about an hour. I told my wife said I could cut that in half and have both services taken care of today. If there's anything that will make the people come back, it'll be me going longer when no one's here. Or you might change the back channel and go somewhere else, but I don't know. But nonetheless, it seems like I'm getting longer the more I stare at those double back doors. <laughs> Amen. God bless the six that are here with me. 
<laughs> I've done went colorblind. I don't know when the time turns red. This grand thing happens with the angelic visitation, with the proclamation to Zacharias that you will bear a son. Watch this. <laughs> Faithful man, priest, that's, that's, that's consistent with his service, and the people prayed. And all this spins into existence. Zacharias speaks to the angel, who, by the way, was Gabriel, the same angel that visited Mary to tell her of the child that was coming. Her womb. Zacharias asked the angel, get this, Brother Pat. He said, and you look at it in verse 18. He basically says this. He says, how do I know this will be? How do I, you said that I shall have a son. How do I know this will be? Now let's get real, real practical here for a moment. You're talking to an angel that no one's even talked to one in 100 years. And you have the audacity to say, how do I know? There on your forehead there, Zacharias, buddy. How do I know that this will be? And here's the real reason why Zacharias is asking the question. How do I know this will be? Basically because he's saying this. My, I'm owed and my wife is owed. He said, how do I know this will be? Because, listen to me, because the conditions are not right for this to happen right now. I hear what you're saying, but I can't harmonize that with what my mind is thinking and my heart is feeling. Because everything's telling me the conditions are not right for this. <laughs> Woo! And the angel Gabriel, hey man, I don't know what colored eyes, but they were still at that moment, stared back within the face of Zacharias and told him, Zacharias, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. I'm an angel, Zacharias. You've not just heard from God during the time. You have just heard from God during the time when it hasn't been happening. You have just heard and seen what no one has experienced in years. And you're telling me the conditions are not right. I can hear the angel telling Zacharias, what conditions are you talking about? Haven't you been serving me? Haven't you been walking righteous before me? Haven't the people been praying while you've been serving? What better conditions are there to have than the... What better conditions... My God. Someone say hallelujah. Hear me, hear me. I hear the voice. I hear the voice right now that's saying into people's lives and families and churches, the conditions are not right right now. The conditions are not right. They are not, if you will, conducive to have church. They're not conducive to have a move of God. They're not conducive for anybody to find God. The conditions are not right. Listen to me. I'm not ignorant. I'm not an ostrich sitting somewhere with my head in the sand. I know the mode of church is somewhat different. And I've talked about that from this pulpit from time to time. And I know that our society today is quite different than the society we knew several months ago. But 
there is one thing that remains the same. And that's God. Jobs will rise and fall. Disease will run rampant and cure. Numbers will increase and decrease. Businesses will close and open. The economy will get better and worse. But one thing stays the same, and that's God. I said it this morning. And I'll repeat it and say it again tonight that our praise and our prayer and our service and our worship is not predicated upon Washington. It's not predicated upon the civil unrest of protest around about our country. It's not predicated on the threat of an incurable amen pandemic which vacillates and flux every day. It does not be predicated upon that. It is predicated upon God. My praise is because of God. My prayer is because of God. My service is because of because if you're like I am I know some people stop watching the news because it's the regurgitation of events from day to day I'm subscribed to a few news fee system alone on my phone and it tells me daily with notifications. These businesses are closing. You will not find these items on the shelf in your local grocery store. The number of those infected with coronavirus has changed. Wear a mask. Don't wear a mask. These are the symptoms of coronavirus. These are the new symptoms of coronavirus. These were never the symptoms of coronavirus. It only affects these ages. It don't affect the young. Wait a minute, there's someone 16 that died of coronavirus. These officers were killed in protest. That statue was desecrated, etc., etc., etc. I hear all of that. I see them pop up on my phone thinking maybe perhaps it's a text. I see what it is. I push it aside because it changes. It's in constantly fluxing. It's constantly vacillating from back and forth. But whenever I get up in the day and I open up this word of God and I turn my eyes toward these pages and I read scriptures, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and and forever and I understand not one jot of this book or one tittle of this holy word has changed or ever will change and neither the holy God that inspired it will change it's with conditions like that that I believe God can do anything He's not nervous. He's not wringing his hands. But while the priest serves and the people pray, God responds. Zacharias, hear me very well here. Zacharias did not quit serving 
after God responded. Let me state it again for effect. Zacharias did not quit serving. And since the prayer of the people happened simultaneously, neither did that. After God responded. Because herein, for the church world, lies the great failure of both, I'll say it, priest, pastor, and people. And that is God responds. And our service and our prayer goes out the door. Because seize and conquer. Objective achieved. Note what the scripture says in verse 23 of Luke 1. So the angel has appeared. It's told him you're going to bear a son. He's asked the question, how do I know? (laughs) The conditions are not right. And look what happens in verse 23. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own well, what's, what's, what, what are you saying to me? I'm saying this. The angel told him, you will bear a son. Not necessarily him, you understand. We're not saying indoctrinating the first male birth of a child. No. Speaking about the context of their marriage, you will bear a son. And at that point, with that knowledge, that God said, I'm going to bear a son. Zacharias did not go home to mama to have relations with her. Listen to me. Although he knew God had promised them a son now. No, rather the scripture describes Zacharias kept on serving. He kept on executing his priest office. He kept on, let me say it like this. He kept on doing what he was doing when he got his answer. He kept on doing what he was doing when his miracle was prophesied to him. And the Bible says when Zacharias completed his days of his service, completed his time at the temple as was prescribed to him, then he went home to his wife. In other words, he kept serving. And by implication, the people kept praying. Now notice what we have going on here. I just got a little longer to go. Everybody doing okay? We're still under, we're still under an hour, so we're doing great. <laughs> Amen. After John's birth, it happened just like the Lord said. After John the Baptist's birth, the people, because his name was to be called John and not Zacharias, he wasn't to take on the name of Zacharias, which was common in culture and and custom for their day, you know, for a son or one to take on the name of their dad. It was just customary. Um, But whenever Elizabeth said, no, it's going to be John, and and even Zacharias pinned it on the tablet because he was struck mute because he asked the question about, you know, how shall these things be, and uh, which amazing to me, they had 400 years of silence, and then John was silent for nine months after it got loud. But nonetheless, and so his name's going to be John, and the people begin to question. In the King James, it it comes forth with the punctuation as though it is a declaration. 
Uh, most of other translations uh, pose it with the uh, punctuation of a question mark as though it's a question. I'm not a Greek scholar, all right, by no means. And so I just look at the accounts of this questioning fact. And so it, 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 it's posed as a question whenever the people begin to ask concerning John the Baptist, what kind of child will this be? It's not named after Zacharias. And it's come at a very peculiar time, under very peculiar circumstances of a barren womb. What kind of child will this be? What kind of child, and let me state it like this, what kind of child is the offspring of people faithful to serving and praying? Verse 80 tells us concerning John the Baptist that he grew and that he waxed strong in the spirit. Or he became strong in the spirit. Let me, let me submit to you tonight that when serving and prayer get yoked together, listen to me, it will produce something that easily recognizes the spirit of God. Just hold on to me here for a moment. Because we even see this before the baby John the Baptist is born. The Bible says that Gabriel went and addressed Mary concerning the child that was to be conceived in her of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says after, after these words were spoken to Mary, she left because the angel also told her, if you think this is impossible, an immaculate conception, he said, then consider that a relative of yours, Elizabeth, who had a barren womb, has a baby growing in her right now. Nothing is impossible with God, he told her. Mm-hmm. And so Mary left after, after the meeting with the angel to go visit her little relative, Elizabeth. You know how, how pregnant ladies are when they're pregnant at the same time? My goodness, you get to, you know, you, you, you begin to compare bumps and how's the nursery going and you got all these things to talk about. Hey man, Mary goes and visits, hey man, Elizabeth, hallelujah, Elizabeth at this time for six months now she is pregnant. Mary starting her first trimester. She goes and visits her. And the Bible says that Mary addresses Elizabeth. She calls out to her. She greets her. She gives some type of salutation. And upon hearing, upon Elizabeth hearing, and we all know child in the womb here, though in the womb, don't we? Upon hearing the salutation of Mary that was carrying the product of the Spirit, the Bible says the baby inside Elizabeth, John the Baptist, leaped. Woo! It leaped for joy. Can I tell you that the offspring of serving and the offspring of prayer has a sensitivity to the things that are spiritual? Because as Mary entered and started talking, John the Baptist starts leaping. He recognized the Spirit. He recognized the presence of God has entered the... Oh, God. Mm. 
strong. I, I, I'm, I'm really, I'm running fast to the finish line. John leaps because of the voice of Mary. She's arriving there, not now as per se. She's still a virgin in the literal sense, but there's something been conceived in her womb by the spirit in a spiritual sense and in a natural sense. She's walked in. He picks up on that. Now listen, we know we follow, we follow backwards the branches of Scripture. We understand from John that the word was made flesh due to a virgin birth. Galatians 4 4, I believe it says, talks about she was he was made of a woman. Right? But the birth, the birth, the conception even of him was due to mama being overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. Listen to me now. So bilaterally, or both, if you will, both Elizabeth and Mary carried babies in their womb at the same time. There was a three-month overlap of time. Carrying babies in their womb at the same time. But the first, the first, John the Baptist, was for the establishment of the second. I'll go back even a little further. The first of a serving priest and a praying people was for the establishment even of a John the Baptist. Follow me here very closely and I will elaborate if necessary. Serving and praying prepared the way because that was John's purpose. Prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. He was to be a herald. He was to prepare the way. Serving and praying prepared the way. John the Baptist's purpose for the manifestation of God. Jesus Christ in the flesh was the manifestation of God. Praying and serving prepared the way. John the Baptist for the manifestation of God. Jesus Christ. So this is what I present to you as I try to close. While we are serving and praying during these very critical times, at an uncommon place to us, in essence, I'm telling you this. I'm not asking you this. I'm telling you this. While we do this, we're making preparations. For the manifestation. We are preparing for the manifestation of God. Listen to me very clearly. I'm not just talking about some woo-wow moment in the service. I'm talking about the second coming. We are preparing. By serving and praying. Making preparations for the manifestation of God in the church, in the world, and in these last days. If musicians can come and you and stand with me here in this house tonight, it'll happen, folks. Listen to me. It'll happen as we serve, it'll happen as we pray. And I can't but wonder, Bishop. 
I wonder what type of visitations we would have in this hour if as the priests served and the people prayed, we would anticipate that manifestation. I'm asking myself the question. I'm wondering, would silences in the different circumstances of people's lives, would they be broken as the priests would serve? And the people would pray. Would promises perhaps be given that would make way for the presence of the Lord to intervene if as the priest served, the people prayed. He responded then, Sister Sheila. And perhaps even now, if as a priest I could serve, but simultaneously if you could pray, Perhaps there'd be another visitation pregnant with promise. <sighs> Laying the, the groundwork of preparation for the fruition of a manifestation of God Almighty that will be able to see and touch and feel and experience. Luke says, I'll tell you all about the life and the experience of Christ Jesus. But I got to start my story with a serving priest and a praying people, Theopolis, to declare unto you the certainty. The certainty of these things. We bow our heads across this place. It happened as the priest served the people prayed can we tonight lean in to the spirit of the Lord not if you will clocking off and analyzing all of the conditions that are in constant flux and change but can us lean into the Lord to the condition that never changes and serve and pray with him in mind Perhaps he may respond in this uncertain hour. Perhaps he may respond in this place that we've never been before. Hallelujah. Will somebody begin to cry out to God in this place? Will somebody render their voice and their attention right now unto heaven? Will the people pray in this moment? Will the people pray in this hour? Will the people pray in this atmosphere and in these circumstances and what we might declare as odd times? Will the people pray? Because I give you this word, I'm going to endeavor to keep on serving. Will the people pray? I'm waiting and I'm listening for the response of heaven. I'm listening for the response of heaven. I, I am just on my tiptoes expecting the visitation of heaven. What you do with that prayer is preparation. What you do with that service is preparation for the manifestation of God. I wish somebody would lean in right now and let there be a product of your prayer that grows more and more sensitive to the moving of the Spirit. That grows more and more sensitive, if you will, to an encounter of heaven. Hallelujah! 
Hallelujah. As the Masons play and sing, these altars are open. If you want to find a place to pray, if you want to kneel down right there in your pew, that is absolutely adequate tonight. Amen. That pew can become your altar right now as you pray unto the Lord. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.